0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our first podcast, ODI Inside Business. I'm delighted today to be looking at a big question why poor data governance could be a director's undoing? Joining me for this discussion, I'm delighted to have three highly relevant and well qualified panelists. And uh, before I introduce them, I'd quickly like to introduce the Open Data Institute. And the Open Data Institute was founded in in 2012 by the inventor of the World Wide Web, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, and Sir Nigel Shadbolt, a recognised academic and professional in working in artificial intelligence. And the ODI wants a world where data works for everyone. We all know data is moving from being scarce and, and difficult to process to being more and more abundant and, and, and easier to use. But harnessing data for economic and, and social benefit, and, and certainly doing that in ways that support innovation and, and deliver social justice, is really, really tough. Um, we at the ODI envision a future where organisations, communities um, can use data to make to make better decisions quicker, and ultimately where people can trust organisations to manage data ethically and for the benefits from it to be distributed fairly. Now, when it comes to, to business and data governance, I guess you know it's, it's a timely discussion. And following this podcast, if you're interested in, in tools and ways to help you, a quick plug for the ODI, we would highly encourage you to consider looking at one of our webinars where you can sign up and get access to tools and case studies and, and explore how businesses like Co-op and the Refinitive have worked with the Open Data Institute to tackle some of these questions and, and some of these challenges. So we're going to have a, a pretty fast-paced discussion. Without further ado, I'd like to make introductions. I'm delighted to have Olivia Hawkins joining us. Olivia is a consulting director with Wonderman Thompson Data. For those who don't know, Wonderman Thompson is, I think, originally a New York based digital agency with 200 offices across 90 markets and part of the international Goliath WPP group. Olivia is a senior digital strategist and practitioner with more than 20 years' experience across multinationals in all sorts of geographies Europe, the US, and Africa. Olivia's worked to develop customer engagement and marketing strategies across a range of complex digital programs. Olivia recently completed an MSC at the Oxford Internet Institute with a focus on digital ethics in marketing. So that's clearly going to be an interesting angle to, to look at. Welcome, Olivier. Thanks for joining us. And d- delighted to have Faisal Khan joining us really in, with, with two roles, I suppose. Faisal's background originally is, a, is an engineer. He, he joined IBM in his early days and learned how to kind of build a business around technology before going into more high-growth technology startups and after some successful exits from, from some of those businesses, he transitioned to invest in and chair businesses himself and really pursue more entrepreneurial endeavors. And most recently, with that in mind, Faisal is chairman and investor in Zabadast, a unique quick-service casual Indian restaurant business which brings a vision to combine technology and the kind of people-intensive approach to food and really kind of reinvent the operating model. So, I mean, fascinating to hear more about that. Faisal throughout his career is focused on the business implication benefits of technology rather than the technology itself. And, and today, Faisal, we're delighted, is, is also representing the Institute of Directors South, uh, where he is chair. So, so I think the perspective he's going to bring us uh, on behalf of UK directors will be invaluable. Welcome, Faisal. Great to have you. Thank you very much. Now, Richard, Richard Young is joining us. R- Richard is representing Bloomberg today. However, you know, where he is, is, he he has a role in global data, but but actually Richard really kind of brings a background across um, the financial services data market. So, you know, Richard's role at Bloomberg looks at a range of initiatives around data infrastructure, including um, something called Open Symbology Initiatives, which looks at industry kind of instruments and legal entity identifiers in financial services. Richard undertakes a range of industry and regulatory outreach on behalf of Bloomberg. And before working at Bloomberg, Richard spent a number of years in other kind of, what I would call data infrastructure organizations, including SWIFT, which some people may know of in the financial services space, uh, and the London Stock Exchange really Richard brings brings us today first-hand experience of working in technology and data infrastructure in a highly regulated industry where fiduciary responsibilities of senior executives has always been hotly debated and I think it'll be interesting to kind of weave that into the wider debate. Thanks for joining us Richard, great to have you. So I just wanted to to kick off really and and go straight to you Faisal. I mean you know The Institute of Directors runs a lot of training and enablement services for directors in the UK. What what do you think directors across, certainly in the UK, we have a a large chunk, I think it's 90% plus uh, of businesses are small to medium enterprises. What do directors in those businesses think about their responsibilities for data and technology? Stuart, thank thank you very much. I'm going to perhaps be slightly
1: controversial by saying that this is a really tough time for directors of businesses to keep a pace with the incredibly fast-moving technology world. If I cite a few things, the Internet of Things, generating massive quantities of data, the topic of our podcast, artificial intelligence, which is aggregating and creating new ways of seeing things from that mass of data. Technologies like facial recognition, which can be used for good, can be used in a harmful way. The fact that we're all now forced to work online, meaning that we're generating data that perhaps inadvertently we didn't even realize we're generating. We have data aggregators happily collecting data about us. In the sector that I've created a business, quick service restaurants, we're all aware of the changes going on. You've heard of Deliveroo, you've heard of Uber Eats. Basically, what are they doing? They're aggregating data and creating knowledge information for themselves. And finally, and not least, is the issue of what I call surveillance, well, which is commonly known as surveillance capitalism which is the use of all this data that is now about our digital footprint and about companies' digital footprints being used by entities that know how to use that data to create a new economy and a new power base. So if I start with that as an issue for directors, how on earth do directors, even large businesses, particularly in medium and small businesses, keep a track of all the threats that are facing them in terms of their duties of protecting the assets of their business. You know, obviously, uh, it means that data is now a major asset in their business that they need to protect. So as a starter, let me throw that back by saying I think directors are struggling big time
0: just to stay on top of all this. Well, thanks. Thanks, Faisal. That's a pretty bleak outlook you've painted how does that play out for an organization like Wonderman Thompson I mean you you work with customers data on their behalf so is that because they don't have the skills and they can't do it Olivier or I mean how, 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 how do you see these directors stepping up and, and trying to deal with this
2: oh, so many so many different ways to answer that well first of all I think that yes the volumes of data are somewhat overwhelming at the moment and what we can do with data can feel overwhelming. But I think we take a more positive view too. We see it as pretty exciting and throwing up an enormous amount of opportunities. And in the marketing world, of course, those are opportunities to improve the customer's experience by sort of tailoring content and tailoring messages so they actually kind of get the information they need at the time they need it. So there's a lot of sort of positive around all of this too. But from the client's perspective and whether they feel sort of on top of things, I mean, partly that's why we're brought in to to help and advise. But I think that clients are seeing that their responsibilities are increasing. I sort of see this as a bit of a spectrum, sort of responsible data use used to be sort of keeping data secure. And then as sort of regulations like GDPR and CCPA came in, it became about making sure that you obeyed the law. I think that the definition of responsibility is extending now to making sure that you are behaving ethically with people's data, particularly as we begin to get all of these sort of new sources of data and can do so much more with things like machine learning models. So I do think clients are aware of that. I think that we are only at the very beginning of trying to figure out what that sort of definition of ethical data use is but i would certainly say that being trusted with people's data is incredibly important to companies because there are sort of enough stats out there to to say that when you're trusted your your kind of revenues increase customers come back to you your company value increases okay
0: so 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 you're talking about almost an evolution of people's directors willingness to accept their responsibilities and how and how those responsibilities aren't just around the security of the data it's around how they're using the data and we've really focused the conversations so far on personal data however industries like financial services i mean richard financial services has been disclosing and been heavily regulated for many many years of course the whole industry is not not regulated but many swathes of it are. I mean, do you think that directors in financial services businesses, are they starting to see their responsibilities go go beyond just kind of data security and, you know, the protection and, and standards like obviously inf- information security standards? Are, are people really thinking about their responsibilities to the people in their organizations, to
3: their sector as a whole. How does it play out in financial services? Yeah, well, financial services obviously has been traditionally quite data-driven anyway for quite some time. But I think the importance of data, because it has opportunities obviously for maximizing profit and return if you use it effectively, but also... There are challenges because there's now so much of it, um, and also there are risks if you mismanage it from from you know the, the regulatory and reputational point of view. So, given all those sort of trends, we're seeing, I think, in financial services particularly that the the data conversation in firms is becoming elevated. So, you're seeing actually that at many firms, banks, et cetera, particularly, you now have in the C-suite, the executive suite of uh, officers, not just chief financial officer or chief operating officer, but you might now see quite often a chief data officer, a CDO. Um, And that's a bit of an evolution because although data has obviously always been very important um, for all the reasons I've said and and becoming increasingly so, it has had a bit of a kind of, we don't need to know too much about that when we're... uh, from the sort of top down as long as it all works then you know that's fine but i think that position of just kind of just assuming everything's going to be okay has uh, has diminished and, and we're seeing now that because of the of the opportunities because of the challenges because of the and particularly because of the risks of mismanaging data that's where the senior management has to now get more involved. And as I say, in many cases, we're seeing firms that are actually appointing someone at the sea level specifically to manage these data challenges.
0: And is that because, to Faisal's point earlier, the traditional senior executives struggle? We talk about the Open Data Institute, we talk about data literacy, I think many people have started to talk about that. There's debate around what it actually means, but do you see a consummate level of data literacy with senior executives and financial services? Or is the, is the chief data
3: officer plugging that gap? In some cases, the, the CDO and, and their team will be plugging that that gap. So it's like technology generally, you know, there has become an increasing reliance on on technology and say the, in the trading space, for example. 40, 50 years ago, you went to lunch with someone and you, you know, you kind of uh, had relationships that, that kind of drove some of the investment and, and trading activity but that's 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 all gone it went in the 1980s with the big bang and and the move to electronic trading and and remote dealing rooms so that's that's changed and so technology has obviously become more important but yes not, not all senior People that know the intimate details of their of their systems or the data that runs through it, but that's always going to be the case. But now they are making sure that they do have people with a, with with the right level of authority at a senior level who can manage these things and can ensure that the risks are managed and the opportunities are also leveraged. Because obviously, if you can manage data effectively, certainly in financial services, you know that does create opportunities for you to you know, develop your business. Okay, well, chief data officers, that's great for big businesses, but what about
0: um, the average small to medium enterprise? I mean, how can data literacy be something that they can get to grips with, Faisal? Uh,
1: Stuart, um, a a couple of comments. Firstly, the CDO role, I have to say, I, I see it as almost an impossible role because the rate of development of technology and the rate of change with respect to the growth in data. I mean, both both of my colleagues said they're seeing a growth in data at the moment. It's not at the moment. This is an onrush which is only going to grow exponentially over time. And if you read any of the stats about the Internet of Things and the rate at which data capturing devices are going to be everywhere, is this really possible for one person in an organization, the CDO, to actually be able to keep on top of all of this as, as this grows. I, I have my doubts. That's point number one. Point number two is I do remember in the 70s and the 80s that the role IT director or CIO became an unbelievably powerful person on the board because he was talking a language that no one else understood. And he effectively became the baron that actually was the power broker on a board. And we don't want a CDO to assume the same kind of power position. And therefore, I think there is a real need for some kind of oversight outside of companies. You know, regulatory oversight, which will help the remainder of the board to actually deal with these issues. So that's the, that's the second point. But uh, one final point to your comment: uh, an SME simply will not be able to afford a CDO. Uh, they're going to be highly paid individuals working for the biggest, I don't know, FTSE 100 companies. So again, uh, I fear that SMEs are going to really struggle with this
0: stuff. So, so, Faisal, I mean, you're, 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 again, you're painting a picture here of, I mean, there's two challenges. And actually, I think the one you've mentioned about language is really important. Literacy by nature implies that it's accessible. People can understand the area. We recently at the Open Data Institute developed something called the Data Skills Framework in a push to try and help organizations understand what data literacy can mean for them. I mean... Is regulation the only answer to push that out to every executive? What do you think, Livia? I mean, are, are you going to see the organisations you're working with, the executive's going to get data literate if it was pushed out?
2: So first of all, I think it really depends on your definition of data literacy. I mean, you can talk about data literacy and and, and it can mean it's the, the knowledge about how to collect and cleanse and manipulate data and and analyse it and model it. And I just don't think that executives need that level of Of literacy but if you're talking about literacy in terms of knowing what data your company is using making sure that it's accurate making sure that any use of the data has really good clear purpose making sure that you're transparent about it and what you're doing with that data and having all of the mechanisms in place so that customers and and clients have you know the right to kind of challenge you and ask for redress then I think that sort of literacy is achievable. I don't think that regulation is the only answer. I think it is one of the answers. I think also codes of conduct are incredibly important. And I think that also sort of, you know, consumer pressure is incredibly important. Change doesn't happen just because of regulations. Change happens because there are pressures from multiple sources. And I think all of us sort of recognising this problem and working together will make that change and i also wonder whether i suppose regulation tends to be slightly slower than other sources of pressure just because it has to be you know considered
0: consumer pressure can take a long time i mean we've had a congressional report this week looking at the the power of big tech mm. and what what combination's right richard i mean financial services heavily regulated reputationally damaged in in the global financial crisis perhaps recovering FinTech is maybe helping that recovery, but what, what what, do you see as the right balance to, to, to make data literacy happen?
3: Well, I mean, obviously I come from a business where there's a high level of data literacy because it's actually our business to provide data to our customers, as well as managing our own data from a corporate perspective, of course. So it's slightly different world to maybe what the others are talking about. but. You know i do think looking at the wider financial services industry that there is more senior awareness as i said as i said before of the importance of data yes you know if you're a, a chief executive of a whatever a bank or a brokerage firm whatever it is investment firm you don't necessarily need to be down in the weeds with you know python skills, which is a way of analyzing data. But but you do need to to know how your company is managing these data challenges, how they're keeping data private, that needs to be kept private, how they're maximizing the data they may be buying in from people like Bloomberg, because it's no point buying in data if you can't make the best use of it. And that, that requires systems uh, to be in place and an and insight uh, to, to be gained. And you also need to know, as part of your general risk and compliance operation, that you were know, you managing data both correctly from the privacy perspective, but also that you're giving the right data to the regulator. Because one of the big things about financial services is that, as you say, it is quite highly regulated. And one of the trends that we've seen is that the volume of data uh, and the the depth and granularity of that data that regulators now want to see in terms of activity, you know, what, transaction reports being one of the, the major things, that that's really increased dramatically. And if you get it wrong, if you don't provide the right data, or you make mistakes in the data you provide to the regulator, and there was an example of that that was in the news just yesterday in, in the U.S. From, from a major financial firm that had misreported uh, quite a lot of uh, trades to the to the U.S. regulator. Then you will get fined, and and that you know. That that is happening, uh, and that is a, a, a data problem that people in the financial services business need to to manage. I mean, the fine may be small if you're you know a massive great uh, great firm, but certainly the reputational damage will also be a factor, and um, that you you haven't managed this correctly. So you know these data aspects. Yes, it's not about uh, the CEO being able to sit at, at his at his PC and 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 you know do some Python. But it is about that awareness at that level uh, of of how these problems are being managed. Okay.
2: Yeah. Sorry, just to jump in on that, I I completely agree with what you've just said. I think that we can get a bit hung up on, or we can even get a bit kind of blinded by the science when it comes to data, and get. I mean, I think the A level results. What's the right term for this fiasco? was a a really good example of this. You know, it was almost a case of getting too excited about data and too excited about the algorithm and forgetting to really think through what are we trying to achieve? What impact is it going to have? Is there a right of redress? What are the mechanisms we're putting in place to sort this out if it goes wrong? These are basic business skills. And if you step back and don't get too overexcited about technology and too overexcited about data, and just remember what you're trying to achieve. I think that it all becomes a little less scary and a lot more manageable.
0: That's, uh, that's a good point, which which brings me to discuss or embed the point around data infrastructure. So, a lot of people get excited to to point about these these hype curves. I think some of the analysts refer to them as. few years back it was all about big data, now it's all about artificial intelligence, but I mean it might not be might not be sexy, it might not be something that everyone wants to talk about, but how much is data infrastructure a part of this and you know having the right systems of record, uh, having the right processes and standards, again all of those things are fairly commonplace in something like financial services, but but can can we expect small businesses to, to, to? How do they know about where to go for this stuff? I mean, Pfizer, what's your what's your view on this?
1: Uh, okay, I, I guess my start point is that we are all using a, a data infrastructure called the internet, which is both insecure and unregulated. And if we are looking to provide secure infrastructure then I personally think there is a great deal of work to be done to make the basic infrastructure through which we transact and through which we pass data between ourselves to be much more secure. How we do that, I think, is an open challenge. Of course, we can make our own micro world of our business as secure as possible, but unfortunately, we have an environment where, because of the lack of complete security, there is a huge amount of leakage that goes on. And I'm concerned that the first issue about having the infrastructure secure is
0: bigger than companies themselves. Okay, well, that's a tough one. I mean, no no single person, company, organization or government runs the internet. I mean, it's globally distributed. It's, it, it transcends jurisdictions. Um, You have organizations like, um, you know, ICANN, based in in California, responsible for kind of the unique identifiers on the Internet, domain names and the like. But, uh, I mean, this is, you know, regulation, does it stifle innovation? And and where's the balance? I mean, Olivia, you mentioned this this earlier, the the kind of the the different forces. What's the right balance of regulatory inputs, of... Literacy and knowledge, and, and, and you know, with your clients, what do you see as, as where could the quick wins be for them to, to kind of move this agenda forward?
2: Sure, this conversation just got very very large. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. Faisal's just uh, pointed out um, both the beauty and the and the, the ugly side of the internet, which is that it is created in a world where I mean, you know you know it, it transcends regulation, it transcends nation states, it transcends boundaries, um, and therefore regulating it becomes well well now impossible but that's what also makes it brilliant that's why it's had such a rapid growth so yeah big question bringing it right back down to my clients or or towards my clients i think we're trying to work this balance out i think that when it comes to maintaining consumer trust in how we use their data when it comes to determining the value of data all of these things are being worked out at the moment, and there is no easy answer to it, but I would point out that this business model that we're all operating under, where data has value, it's new. It's what? 20 years old, 25 right. years old. And if you look at any other sort of technology innovations throughout history and Stuart you and I were talking about railways the other day you know it takes time to work out what their value is what their downfalls are, where to kind of put on the brakes, where to put kind of safety measures in. It's this idea of the internet needing a, a seatbelt, and we haven't quite invented it yet. So I think that for all of these topics that we're covering, we're still finding our way, which is a really bad answer to your question. But I don't think there is an, an easy answer for it.
0: No, well, I think I think the comparison to infrastructure is a, a fascinating one. I mean, some of our earliest work at the Open Data Institute took this this concept uh, to try and make it accessible to people and, and understandable and, and and I think we still stand by that if, it, if we are 20 years old I mean the earliest locomotive I forget the name of it I think it ran over someone didn't it so um, <laughs> yes are we at risk with with the, the, this small number of companies who are just so much more advanced in this area but I mean you know we're here to talk about the challenge for directors how can we rebalance this debate and how can directors be empowered or at least enabled to get on top of this? Uh, and, and what's the right approach, Faisal?
1: Well, I, I guess um, dialogue such as this one is is important. But if you go back to the the kind of education system that we have today, we need to recognize that even young children, as part of their core curriculum, need to have training and education and a a, a perspective on the world that they're going to inherit, you know, when, when they grow up. And the world that they are going to inherit is fundamentally going to be, and indeed is already, dependent on this thing you know called the internet. So I I think the core to this has got to be education from mm. a very early age. So that's a kind of long-term view in terms of the short-term view of how can directors begin to be or get to be more knowledgeable. People such as the Institute of Directors have also got to now step up and our training programs, uh, you know, our Chartered Director program needs to have modules in it, which will make directors conscious of their responsibilities, given the nature of the animal that we're dealing with
0: when data is involved. That's a, that's a, that's a great kind of um, call to action. Where has this worked in, I mean, not so much data, Richard, but, but financial services, we mentioned it heavily regulated, everyone knows that. What, if you're a director of a financial services company, you know, what to you is an example of knowledge, regulations, something that, that is kind of a critical construct of the of the infrastructure of financial services organisations that, that makes things work and, and provides some kind of responsibility framework, if you like?
3: Well, I think financial services firms have been uh, increasingly used to, certainly the large ones have, and probably some of the smaller ones, to managing data challenges and and they keep getting thrown new ones uh, all the time because as i say one of the big things is is regulation and the demands of regulators uh, for information about the activities of firms have been growing steadily certainly since the, the well even before the uh, the financial crash in 2008 but certainly since then you know since then the the volume of data the granularity the detail and even the format that it's required to be produced in um, has become much more directed by it by the, the regulators, uh, prescribed by the regulators, uh, and, you know, people have had to be able to sort of kind of catch up with that. I know the regulators actually are always quite keen to acknowledge the fact that they know that this is, can be a, a burden. So they are looking at smarter ways sometimes of interacting with firms to get data. So, for instance, the Bank of England has got a, 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 been doing an exercise this year on their data strategy, and how they can work with the industry to get data that they require for their oversight in a way that is smart and also, you know, reduces the cost and burden on on those who have to provide that that data. And a lot of regulators actually, I mean, we've heard of fintech, there's a thing called regtech, which is kind of around at the moment, which is where the regulatory burden and how that's discharged is put together with some of the sort of fintech type technologies to see how, how you can you know, get reporting uh, smarter using using technology more effectively, and I think that's quite an interesting initiative. But I say on, on the general directors thing, I think we've, we've we've kind of, from the point of view of the financial services industry, I, I think it's very well acknowledged that data is a, a massive part of what um, the, the firms have to uh, manage, uh, and you know, the the burden around that's not going to decrease as we've already said there's an exponential increase in in data some of it is data that you'll be crunching because that's what you need to crunch in order to get the insights you need for investment activity other data is stuff you have to protect because of privacy uh, rules and and obviously you know, there are in the regulations in the uk for instance responsibilities on senior managers within within firms that you know for, for regulatory compliance and that includes obviously data aspects as well and, and firms have to to make sure that they can you know, meet that challenge. So there, there is a there is a, a, a constant drive upwards in terms of the visibility and importance of data issues in financial firms. That's So, I so have. the regulator has huge power and influence in financial services. And the regulator does it? Uh, ha- in, yeah. Do, do, does it, does has, it? Well,
0: hang on, hang on. Does it? Does it in traditional non-financial services sectors, fast-moving consumer goods, uh, retailers, household brands. I mean the. Are your, are your customers really scared of the ICO, uh, uh, Olivia? I mean, ICO has, has been, hmm. in some respects, following uh, <clears throat> s- some of the lead of, of organisations like the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, with th- things like their Sandbox Initiative. But but do your customers, w- how do they feel about the role of the ICO?
2: I, I think, I mean, the UK customers, they're watching very, very closely. Most of our clients are sort of, you know, larger national or multinational companies, and they are extremely cognizant of the regulations. They have spent a number of years cleaning up their data where it was necessary, getting on top of what they've got, what they're using, where they're using it, and making sure that they are compliant. I mean, compliance is a huge topic for these companies. I think one of the the side effects, the benefits, the unexpected benefits perhaps, of the regulations has been this tidying up of data. So in fact, although it can seem onerous, I think companies really do understand that it also has very clear benefits. I mentioned quite early on that brand trust leads to a growth in value. This really matters to companies. The the idea of of companies having values and and brands being seen to have values, it's a very important topic for companies at the moment with the rise of the millennials and with this kind of focus on brand values and ethical values. Things like the way we use data um, sort of fit into that. I guess the important thing is that clients are very aware of regulation and are making huge efforts to comply with it.
0: So, So Olivia's highlighted other industries. Thinking about the role data plays as infrastructure in our society, in the way we live our lives, the value exchange. I and mean, we at the Open Data Institute, we talk about the kind of people's approach to data between how open they are and, and the level of trust they need to maintain. Where can we learn? Looking back in history, you know, this, this, this world of chief data officers is pretty new. Um, the impact that data has on our lives, we're only really just starting to understand. How can we learn from other parts in history, uh, how, how to kind of tackle this and how to, to make sure we get the right balance for our society. Faisal. Stuart, I'd like
1: to cite the example of the internal combustion engine. It was a huge disruptive change to society and created enormous opportunity, giving us perhaps a couple of hundred years of growth, opportunity, and a better livelihood for mankind. However, with with every opportunity, there comes a cost. And the internal combustion engine and its ability to pour carbon into our environment is the, the price that we're paying. Now, I happen to be an optimist, and I do believe that the younger generations who are having to really get to grips with that challenge uh, are doing so with, with all the vigor that they need to. And I do believe also that the younger generation will do the same when it comes to some of the issues of the most recent disruptive change, which is all around the power of data.
0: Well, I think that's a, that's a, a fascinating observation and insight to, to close upon. And, and on behalf of the Open Data Institute, I'd like to thank our panelists today Thanks, Olivia. Thank you, Faisal, for that cl- closing comment. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you to our audience for listening. Um, we're delighted that you've you've tuned in and we're here to help. If, if you'd like to attend our webinar to get access to tools to support you working more ethically with data, we'd love you to join. Alternatively, our tools are freely available at theodi.org. Feel free to download them. Thanks, everyone, for listening and wish you well.